Hello, and welcome to episode 134 of the Relics of Ore. I am your host, Grybok, and joining me today, we just have a two-person pony show. I am joined by Spirit. How's it going this morning? Good, hello. Without further ado, I think we're just going to jump right into Patch Adams. They're squirrels! They're one of the most amiable creatures on the planet. Oh, no, they're not. On the list of hostile predators, they're right above the bottom, just above baby chicks and slugs. What could they possibly want? Your nuts? Because it's been our first living story patch uh, in quite a while, and it's a good one. Thoughts? Where do I start? There's so many things. There's a new zone. There's story that's picked up on threads that have been left through the whole game in Guild Wars 1. There's a library full of things that I can touch. Oh, uh, by the way, early warning, spoilers. We're going to be talking about the episode and what happens in it a lot. So if you haven't done the story and you care about spoilers, tune out and come back after you've done that. So let's start. Uh, let's start with the zone first because um, it's 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 it does a lot of really interesting things, and above all, it's continuing with this trend of actually giving us new permanent land to visit and fight in, which I really appreciate. Um, is uh, how do you feel about how it's laid out, like aesthetically? Do you do you like how it looks or? Mm, yes. Yeah, it's pretty similar to Dry Top, but it's also a little greener. It has palm trees, and I, yeah, I guess I like that. Um, I do kind of miss the verticality of Dry Top, but I know not everyone liked that, and especially because the mechanics uh, to getting around Dry Top were, you know, involved the crystals. I can see there being a problem with that. It's very flat. Very, you know, actually, what it reminds me of, not just because of the mechanics, and we'll get to the mechanics in a minute, but structurally, like, the, the layout of the map reminds me very much of the Borderlands and Worldly World. It's where it's very flat and open, and then there are forts. Or, yeah, I guess, it feels very flat to me. Like, it's very not, flat. It's, it's very, not like, very complex. It's very, like, Box Canyon. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's, um... Definitely, it's definitely very different feeling than the previous zone, even though aesthetically mm-hmm. it's pretty similar. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. Um, yeah, and and I mean, I, I sort of agree with what you said about the verticality. You know, I really enjoyed that in the last zone, but at the same time, you know, as you sort of said, the due to the way that this zone is supposed to function, I feel like that would be way too much of a hindrance. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know getting outside of the aesthetic now they have introduced a really cool world view world like system for meta events or just events i guess kind of both um mm-hmm. do you want to talk about that a little bit because i don't have nearly as much experience with that section of this patch as you do um sure so the i'm just going to describe like the basic flow of events in the zone right so you come into this zone by the way there's one waypoint in this zone and it's right at the very beginning uh which changes up how you approach a lot of things like a lot of times you'll take events to get farther into the zone like follow events or you know be more careful about who's rezzed and um you know just death in general because there is a consequence to it you will have to run back um but anyway you start at you start off at this packed camp and then you move um following these packed bulls to one of four forts. There's red, indigo, blue in the northwest corner, and then amber in the southwest corner. And at these different forts, there's an ebb and flow of events where uh, Mordrum will come and attack, and then you fight back and push them away, and then um, rebuild the fort and there's, there's a sort of back and forth constantly between those two. How do you actually rebuild the fort? Like, uh, I noticed that there's events for getting rubble and stuff, but I wasn't sure if mm-hmm. there was actually, if you repaired them, like, World v. World style. Mm, the Completing the event for doing the rubble should complete the fort. I'm not entirely sure. Like, honestly, I've farmed this for a while, and I'm not entirely clear on the mechanics for repairing the forts, because even when 
we had um even when we would complete the rubble event like some of the walls would go back up or the walls would go back up but the doors would still be open so it seems to be different i know that running the pact or the yeah running the pact bulls helps and occasionally it'll say like tower defense is refreshed and whatever but i'm not 100% sure on what triggers that it's not really obvious to me Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, it also was not obvious to me, but I've also only spent, you know, maybe an hour and a half or an hour in there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So what do you think of this as a, as a structure for a zone? I kind of, I kind of feel that I don't, I, I really like it. And, but at the same time, I think it's something that should be used conservatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I enjoy the, premise of it and i have enjoyed um i spent quite a bit in there i've done all the achievements um there are some flaws with it like it's really hard to have there's almost no downtime right Mm -hmm. because the the invasion happens it ends immediately you go into a defense phase and then it um the invasion happens again, defense, invasion, defense, and there's just that constant back and forth, and then the it culminates in a breach, you go in and kill these champions, and then there's five minutes before the next cycle of invasion starts. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's so sort of amped up like the, um, gosh, what was it? Was it the previous, the first Queen's Gauntlet, where you kind of like never really felt like you had a break? I don't really remember. I didn't. I didn't do too much in the first Queen's Gauntlet. Yeah, the yeah they've had a few of these. Oh no, uh, you know what I'm thinking? It was. It's kind of like the attack on L.A., um, except even more frantic, or not not more frantic while you're doing it. But the L.A. had what a ten fifteen minute downtime, whereas this only has a five minute downtime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely what I would call a farmer's patch. You know. Um, which is always kind of a good way to sort of get back into the game. But, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, and I kind of, back back when, back when it was, you know, release and pre-launch time, this is sort of how I envisioned the ore events would go. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, you know, a little bit slower than this, obviously, but this idea of actually having like fortified positions that you build up and are getting assaulted constantly and the more of them you have the better um you know the better that you can make them more resilient things like that mm-hmm. yeah it's really interesting um i'm glad that they're playing around with these types of things yeah i um i like it for the most part like i said it's got some flaws the the timing there's, I think, it's much better balanced than like when in or when you go and take the forts, right? If you once you have taken a fort, there's almost no way you're gonna lose it, except in like maybe one or two cases where there's a ridiculous enemy that has stupid life steal and it's just totally unfair. But you know, the the Mordrum, it's a lot better balanced. Like even with experienced players there and doing this stuff there is a very real possibility that you will lose access to this fort. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, um, I mean, even before the show, I, you know, asked, you know, we, we teamed up and were doing some and, and we almost lost it because, you know, there was something, there was an event going on outside that everybody wanted to be doing, but the, the base's defender had died and, and nobody was resing them, so yeah, it's it's good. Um, I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely planning on spending some more time back in back in there and getting used to it. Um, another improvement that they've made, I feel, is with the um, the keys and chests because that feels a lot less. Mm, so it's, it's a lot more satisfying, I feel like, than some of the previous implementations because it's really easy to get the keys. Yeah, the Zephyrite lockpicks were a pain in the butt for me to get, so I just kind of... I really wanted an uh, an Ambrite weapon. Is that what they're called? The insect weapons? I forget. Yeah, I think that's right. But, yeah, I really wanted one, and I opened 140 lockpick chests before I got a fossil, and it was just miserable. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's fairly easy to get the keys here. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think there are any rare drops out of this zone yet. Yeah, that's true. I like, guess we don't know exactly. I think it's all just fairly standard things out of the chess. Yeah. Yeah. But but speaking of like drops and and rare drops and um sort of patch specific weapons and armor, they do have sort of a new interesting system for having a well not not really new because I guess we had this with the spinal back piece, but the um the the armor that turns into luminescent armor the what is it carapace mm-hmm. and luminescent yeah yeah uh where you where you get the carapace armor from the story and or you can turn in a thousand um whatever the whatever the random badges i guess it is crests, crests yeah yeah uh to get the shoulder piece and um presumably you can you'll be able to get more as the patches come out and it's sort of this baseline armor and then you can upgrade it to change its visuals and make it luminescent um i think that's really i think it's a really cool thing that they do and i hope that they keep doing that kind of thing going forward mm-hmm. um yeah i mean the carapace armor and the luminescent armor aren't really my style but that's fine. You know, I'm sure they're definitely some people's style. I know a lot of people that love the butterflies. Um <laughs> so that's that's yeah, that's really cool. I I really like the idea of having things that are sort of an easy to get first step and then being able to upgrade them and enhance them and sort of enhance their prestige. And I feel like that would be a cool way to do all sorts of weapons and armor and you mm-hmm. know, things like uh, you know, it's something that could be implemented into fractals, you know? Like, you could, instead of having an ultra-rare drop, you could have, you know, uh, sort of like these baseline fractal skins that you could get as drop, or you could, you know, buy for some nominal amount of fractal relics, and then, like, as you do high-level fractals, you can, like, collect other things that can then upgrade them, and it's sort of its own way to show that you've done something a lot is not just that you got a rare drop from it, but that you did something and have kept improving it. Sort of like how you can improve your rank in PvP, you know, and have different rank mm-hmm. emotes or whatever. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, idea. yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, they just they have a lot of... This is a really good patch. Like, and I'm not just saying that because it's been a while since our last Living Story patch. It's They've done a mm-hmm. lot of good things in this patch that are pretty exciting. I think it's I think it's really good. This might be exciting to me and one other person. I'm thinking of Hunter from Hunter's Insight, by the way. We have talked a lot about how titles in this game are generally awful, or have been in the past, right? Like, not not awful, but, like, it's very obvious where you got them, right? It's like, it practically says, I killed ten people in PvP. Uh, this patch, there are rare bosses that spawn at each of the forts. Each one has a specific boss that spawns there very rarely. Um, and then when you kill them, you get the achievement and then a title like the Tormentor, the Annihilator, the Demolisher, and the Executioner. And so you've got those four titles to choose from. And if you get all four of them, you get a title called The Be-All, The End, The End-All, which is a freaking awesome title. <laughs> That's pretty... I am excited that is pretty about cool. That. Are those those legendary mo- bosses? Okay, yep. so I just killed one and didn't even realize it. So I probably got a title and didn't even realize it. <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! I got a steel chest from it, so I assume that's going to count as me having killed it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll have to check my titles. Yeah, I think titles were something that were kind of a missed opportunity in Guild Wars because they have some titles and some of them are good and some of them are interesting, but. There's a lot of things that probably should have titles and don't, and there's a lot of things that have titles that are easy or pointless or dumb and or have bad titles. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, personally, I loved the um, the title for killing uh, Liadri. You know, I feel like that was one of their better ones because it did... It does show that you've done something, you know, sort of title-worthy, mm-hmm. but... At the same time, there's also so few titles to choose from, unless you're a legacy player, in which case you have a lot of titles. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, that's cool. I, I actually hadn't really followed that. I saw you guys talking about it a little bit on Twitter. 
but mm-hmm. oh there's actually one other title that i just thought of if you well when you because you can't get all the pieces yet but when you complete a full set of luminescent gear you get the title of light in the darkness oh cool that is interesting as well um is there anything else we want to talk about with like the zone proper um uh i'm trying to think like there's a lot of details that i feel get missed because of the rapid pace of events it's really easy because there's not you start at one waypoint and then there's not like other places to go to right so as you're wandering through the event or like through the zone you get sucked into these events and because they happen so rapidly you get trapped there right like you yeah if you're just exploring the zone you're like oh i'll just do this event and then you get stuck at this fort because you want to keep going and see how it ends and then so it's really hard to explore the zone and i I have not really had a chance to sit down and just go, okay, I'm going to ignore these events because I feel like I have to contribute to what's going on in the zone. So it's hard for me to break away. Yeah. That's just a personal thing. There are a lot of details in the zone that I've, I've read about. I've seen a couple of them that are hints to future content, I think, or hints to story things that are going on. Um, for example, there's a mysterious script who's hostile to us watching over the packed camp very reminiscent of in dry top how there was a mysterious centaur figure off in the distance Mm. um which is strange um i don't think silver waste is done right like dry top was released in three parts uh and silver waste was looks like a complete map like it's got it's got very defined boundaries um but I don't think it is. I think either they're going to add events that change the complexity of the map or dif- just different stuff going on in the zone. I really have a feeling that it's not done yet. Um, data mining aside, because that shaman has broken out of the map and found some stuff, uh, which I don't need to go into. But um, So there are very clearly like some hints that it is not done. Uh, there are also uh, holes, almost. They're, they're, yeah, I guess they remind me of the script holes in Dry Top uh, that are boarded up and have torches on them. There's six in the zone, and they look significant. <laughs> That's about the best I can describe them. They look like things that we'll be traveling through um, or or something. They They look like we will be interacting with them in the yeah, future. Yeah, especially sort of possibly There's... with reference to that script specifically that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a wall, which I should try and find a picture of before I keep talking about it, but I'm pretty sure that the when, when people looked at it and broke it down, it's like a, a painting on the wall, uh, and when broken down, there's three major symbols on it, which are were the symbols uh crap i'm gonna say this all wrong because i wasn't a prophecies person you know how when you went to go be ascended in prophecies there was like those three stones Mm -hmm. the what auger stones right those three symbols yep the three symbols on the auger stones are on oh that's pretty snazzy yeah so that that's interesting too oh and at all the forts there are i think two at each one interactable objects that you can see who the previous owners of the fort might have been and if you played guild wars one or if you're familiar at all with the white mantle the the signs are all there okay all right that's cool i love it because i i played all of guild wars one and i played it a lot and i remember a lot of the story and i'm familiar with the story but i'm definitely Mm -hmm. not the type of person that makes those instant connections or maybe not instant but makes those deeper connections like the symbols i never would have you know made that connection with rites of ascension and the auger stones and the symbols on the wall um and so i love a that they actually put in things of that depth and detail and internal consistency and also b that we have people that are so still into the franchise that they make these links and find them and tell them about us. I love mm-hmm. hearing about that kind of stuff because 
Yeah, it's yeah, wonderful. like it in it enriches everybody really. It enriches the people that like to find those things, and then there's you know the people like us that you know just like to play the content and are interested in the story, and it sort of creates this whole community buzz around all of these things just by the fact that they put them in, and so it's the but it's the community that's sort of discovering them, and yeah, no, it's really cool. I love I love that they're doing that. And I feel like that's a good segue to move into talking about the story because it is chock full of Guild Wars One references. Um, so, oh gosh, there's just so much to talk about. I guess let's just like let's just go through the story instances one at a time, um, because okay. I mean, there's probably a little bit to say about everybody. Um, mm-hmm. so the first instance was actually relatively short, right? Um, uh, with, uh, Marjorie and her sister, Belinda, right? Yeah, yeah. Marjorie. Belinda Jane Delacroix, she used her middle name when she scolded her. <laughs> I went, oh, Oh, snap. snap, you know, you know the, the shit is hitting the fan when you use the full name. Um, mm-hmm. what did you think of that instance? Um, I think it was meant to show, like, the, like, to highlight again the tragedy that happened there, but I don't think we learned enough about what happened with Belinda and the Greatsword to draw, like, any meaningful conclusions from it. Like, we see Belinda go into the Greatsword... But nothing has... We don't know what the significance of that is. Yeah, so I guess it was just just to be able to see this moment, and then the repercussions will come from it later. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it was, you know, it was easy and it was short, and it felt extremely disconnected from the rest of the story. You know, it's Mm. sort of a fall-through of what happened last time, you know, I guess, but... It it definitely felt the other ones all felt like they were linked together, and this one just sort of felt like it was thrown in. Yeah, I was wondering about that too, because uh, when you get in there, uh, Marjorie has Belinda's greatsword, and I thought she had it before. And Belinda goes, "Oh, you brought the greatsword, like I asked you to." Well, questions go like, "How did you communicate? Did I miss something?" Where Belinda asked her to come or like why did she why were they back there with the greatsword why was that I, yeah I'm I kind of missed that too sure maybe there was happened. like a side conversation between the characters that we missed that wasn't in a cutscene mm-hmm. um yeah definitely and I I feel that the most we can draw from this is that it's going to be significant later uh as mm-hmm. as I feel that they've sort of done in the past where looking back on it it makes more sense than it does as you're going through it um and of course a lot of the necromancer community is flipping out that a necromancer just got a great sword and they're like oh we're gonna teach you how to use it <laughs> so obviously necro great swords confirmed exclamation exclamation 11 mm-hmm. um you know well that you know that is the second necromancer now that has a great sword so, I would be on board with being able to summon five flesh golems or nine or however many turns. Yeah, the only thing he's useful for is being OP in one one uh, <laughs> end of one mission. Um, yep. Yeah. Actually, no, no, no. I can counter that because in the very next instance, uh, you go to the Silver Waste and visit Treherne. Yeah. And. Treherne as a character is so much better in that instance than in the entire of the personal story. I don't know if you noticed that, but he was very forward about what he was doing. He was giving orders. Uh, he sounded like he was in command. It wasn't like his very passive way that he led the pact in at least the early living story, or the early personal story, rather. Uh, I think his voice acting was better. It's the same voice actor, but I think it's a lot better. 
uh, and I just really like how far he's come as yeah, a character. Yeah, I definitely wanted to mention that, and I I agreed. I thought I think that um, they're definitely, and this is once again really evidence that they're paying attention to what people are saying um, with their criticisms or desires or complaints. Is that mm-hmm. it? Legitimately is starting to feel like people are actually paying attention to the stuff that you're doing in the story. Because all through the personal story, you know, you were just sort of getting shunted around and you were essentially responsible for all these huge deeds, but it was always just like, oh, you know, once you left Shaymor and weren't the hero of Shaymor anymore or whatever, you know, it was just like, oh, yeah, good job, Traherne. Uh, <laughs> you know, and th- this instance... The, this yeah the second instance that's right after the um right after the Belinda instance definitely as you said it it characterized Traherne a lot better as somebody who was confident and in command and it looked like he was actually leading but then as well it also showed that you know he he was looking for your input because you are effectively currently the expert on Mordrum, or at least as much as there can be, mm-hmm. you know? And so even though he wasn't being, I guess, uh, subservient or, um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the exact word I would use, but he was being deferential to your judgment and, you know, he, was interested in your judgment and what you had to say. And, you know, it, it it felt like cooperation between two people that are in charge of very important things and whose current knowledge and skill sets are not necessarily overlapping. Um, right. Which is great. I Yeah, I thought they really did a good job with that. So how do you feel about the fact that the second instance was almost, or not almost, was literally 100% uh, story-driven? Like no, like that's zero fine. combat. Yeah, that's fine yeah. I thought me. that was cool. It was um, one thing that I really liked was that, and they mentioned this on points of interest, I believe, was that um, there was a lot there that you could investigate uh, with conversations, but you could also just say, "Yeah, I don't care." Uh, and that's mm-hmm. sort of a, a, a running trend throughout uh, this patch is that you know they've sort of recognized that there's lots of different types of people and. Uh, that play the game, and there's a lot of people that just don't care about the story, and so they're just going to ram through the dialogue anyway, so they might as well give them an easy out that just says, like, yeah, just tell me where to go, or yeah, I don't care. Um, mm-hmm. While at the same time not sacrificing story, if you want it. Um, so I thought that was great. You know. Uh, I kind of wonder if we're going to Going back to what we were talking about, about the zone not being done, I kind of wonder if the foothold is going to get strengthened and or expanded. Yeah. Oh, I I thought of a thing. <laughs> Sorry, this no, is going fine. back to map mechanics, but one of the cool, super cool things about the the defense things is that there are signal torches on the wall and um, campfires, bon- uh, torches, I guess, uh, and if you light them, it summons an airstrike, which wipes out the Mordrum. So if you're really getting overrun, you grab that signal torch, you run up to the top of the tower, you light the fire, and then airships swoop in and just cover the area in bombs. It is the coolest thing. And you can watch the, you can watch the airships come in and drop. Yeah, it's I need to so look up cool. to the sky when that happens, because I've noticed the bombardment, but I didn't actually notice that the airships actually mm-hmm. flew in and you could just see them. That's cool. It's, yeah, it's weird. Sometimes I swear I see them at some forts and not others. I know I haven't, like, I have a hard time seeing them at Amber, but I've seen them at Blue. I don't know. So maybe that has an impact sure, on it. Sure, sure. But... Yeah, and that's good, too, because that ties back, once again, it, it makes it feel like what's going on in the story is actually relevant, where, you know, you have, because there was the mm-hmm. complaint with when Mordramoth was first awakening, or with Scarlet, rather, you know, it's like, Scarlet's attacking Lion's Arch with a giant friggin' UFO, so where's our giant armada of airships that can destroy dragons, right? And, you know, right. they sort of back-explained it that, well, they're busy and also lost a lot of their strength, but even so, they have airships, and that should have helped some. And so it's nice mm-hmm. that 
they're making a mechanical thing like that where you you know like you said you like these signal fires and they do an airstrike and you know it's not realistic that they'd be everywhere all at once but it's perfectly realistic that they'd be able to fly out from a foothold and you know bar like bomb an area so yeah i think Mm -hmm. that's really cool as well um i like that so then so what came after the story instance oh right the one where you meet um uh Kaith and Kanak. Okay, I have some problem <laughs> with <laughs> All right. Um starting with this is kind of in the tail end of the first instance, but Treherne tells you, "Oh, I sent out Kaith and Kanak, the two biggest problem children in the Silvari race together, uh, like almost by themselves." to go and do things. There's no possible way that could have gone wrong. And, and, why are we still sending Silvari out to do stuff with the Mordrum? Have we learned nothing? But Silvari, Silvari can be out corrupted there. by dragons. <clears throat> uh, yeah, because Scarlet didn't happen, and Aaron was probably a figment of my uh, imagination. You know, they... There's crazy Silvari. It's not the same thing, Spirit. You can't damn all Silvari. Are I you see. are you a racist? Are you a plant racist? <laughs> like, do you only like certain kinds of plants, but not other kinds of plants? Are you telling me that the kind of plants that yeah, they man. are sort of have some determination over their willpower? Yeah, those cattails are <laughs> awful shady. <laughs> so are the fern leaves. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to object to your characterization of Kanak and uh, Kaith as the most problem children of the Silvari, because we have an entire nightmare court of problem children. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> but they're definitely the biggest problem children of the uh, not-turned, the of the not-nightmare Silvari. I'll grant you that. But isn't, now that I'm thinking about it, isn't Kanak is soundless? He? I could, that could be. I don't know, but I feel like if anyone is at risk, because we've established like over the, the course of the story that Soundless Silvari are at risk, and it's been a, a point of contention in the past, especially like in Dry Top, when those three pact- or Priory Explorers were out there, um, one of the things in their dialogue is going, well, Gix won't send out any Silvari until we know what's going to happen with them, because it's too much of a liability. Like, not only is it a danger to the Silvari, but... If they lose it, then it's a danger mm-hmm. to everyone around. Well, them. I just I just pulled up Canuck's wiki page and uh, Control F for Soundless, and I didn't see anything. That doesn't mean anything necessarily, but I don't know. I don't remember when we would have found mm-hmm. that out. That's one of those things that I get a little bit hazy on because sometimes I I'm the type that skips through some of the story yeah. when I get bored. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean, uh, it would not surprise me either way, but. Um. Yeah. Anyway. But moving on, the actual to the actual instance, I guess. Um. Uh, how did you? How did you? I liked. I liked the mechanics with the with the bombs. You know, with like hordes of guys that are actually really vicious, but the but the corpse bombs. I thought that was pretty fun. Um. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ending, you know, the sort of the the epic like cliff backed up to a cliff fight. Um, did you have any problems with that ever, or was that kind of like steamroll easy? I I'm not sure what I was supposed to do. Like, I I definitely got that. Like, I got up to the cliff. I had my back to the wall, and then they were like, "Move to the bottom." So I did, and I didn't have any problem with it. I was like, Psh, "We got this." And then the I don't know if it was because I missed the spawns or I killed stuff too fast. I don't know what it was. The airship spawned behind me, and then I had to work my way up the cliff against everything that had spawned behind Wait, me. Wait, the airship was, was actually awful. there, and you had to go back to it? The Yeah, the helicopter spawned at the top of the cliff, and I was at the bottom because Kay was like, we have to fight our way down. And I was like, okay, well, and I, I think, did. I think you bugged out <laughs> and then because I had to go all the way back when up. the helicopter actually arrives, it's supposed to clear all the all the guys. Like, when when it gets there, they just sort of all disappear. Probably so that you don't get stuck at the end of the instance, unable to, like, get back to the helicopter. 
Um, <laughs> I made it, but let's just say I was playing my thief, and I hit yeah. in yeah, it Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, I can see why they did that. Uh, it was a little bit abrupt, you know? Um, I didn't have very many guys left normally when I got, when the airship showed up, uh, but they did just sort of disappear. They were notably mm-hmm. absent, so I was kind of surprised that they didn't, you know, airstrike them, since we know that they have that uh, animation, as it were. But, yeah, it, it was a fun mission. It was, um, you know, it, it was pretty easy, but it was fun. I, I liked it. Um, I could see how, if you didn't fight your way down, being in that small confined area with those spinning mordrum plants that leave behind the poison trails, and then, sur- like, being surrounded by wolves and having nowhere to dodge roll to could be a giant problem. <laughs> as, like, as you could possibly imagine, if there would be nowhere to stand without being yeah. on death. Um... So I, I actually really liked that they had the audio cue. You know, that like, that Kate actually just said, like, we need to move down to, like, more open ground. Because um, that might not have been mm-hmm. apparent to people, or perhaps maybe it would be tactically sort of obvious, but at the same time, a lot of the time, Guild Wars is easy enough that you don't have to pay attention to what you really ought to do, and you can just power through it. So that could have been frustrating for right. people. Yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was nice... Uh, I'm not going to call it subtle queuing, but, you know, um, I I thought that was good. It was good that they kept that coherent, I guess, consistent. Um, yeah, but then on to the last instance, the big, the big instance, I feel like. Um, yeah. Gosh, there was just so much in it. Like, it was just... It was a treasure trove of things. So that's actually kind of a critique I have. It was almost too long. Like I haven't gone back and done the achievements. Um yeah, but when I do, I know I'm going to be really frustrated if I mess up on any and have to restart it because well, there's so much involved and it's all great, but I wish it had been broken I f- up into I two believe that inside the um I'll have to look to double check and I don't remember where they were talking about this but that the in inside of the um layer that there's like things that you can talk to that will reset the fights so that when you're doing the achievements you don't have to do the entire instance again. If those are real that isn't then my critiques are Yeah. Gone. I- I'm pretty I'm then pretty sure I was awesome. reading that or listening to that somewhere and I can't remember where it was but it was something like a master crystal or something that like reset it um so I'm going to look that up really quick and why don't you just like sort of talk about your first impressions of the the instance it what how, well, so... so how did you feel about this um, this whole instance being hidden in the Priory? Like, I thought that was kind of cool. I almost wish that the first... Like, yeah, that was really cool. I like knowing more about what goes on inside the Orders, because they feel very small and insignificant when you visit them especially if you're not from that order and then even if you are they all have kind of an instanced area but they're not that big and they feel not like they have an incredible amount of power and so when you go into this this instance and you really see what a huge priory library looks like and all the artifacts and there's stuff in every corner it makes the pact feel a lot or not the pact the priory sorry uh feel a lot more alive not just because uh there you know there's like a few more npcs and there's a bigger room but because like you actually see what they're doing it's not just this kind of hearsay like oh yeah we collect magical artifacts and you're like well where in these tiny little yeah. rooms there's actually like a whole warehouse full of artifacts and the the spine tail whatever of Zaitan going over the whole room really gave it 
both the room and Zaitan mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. sense of scale. I thought that was really cool to just because we never got when we killed yeah. Zaitan, we never got yeah, to yeah. get up close to him, and so you know, you know, like logically, you know, he's huge, but he never felt that big. And then all of a sudden, you're standing under it. And you're like, I killed that by pressing two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I thought that was really cool. It. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it just, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole area, the only thing I'm a little bit sad about is that you do have to redo the story instance in order to regain access to the library, um, Mm -hmm. you know, but, oh, and speaking of gaining access to the library, did you love that thing about the chef trying to come up with uses for bloodstone dust in, yeah. Yes. And I really hope that's kind of like a like I hope they introduce bloodstone dust to a cooking recipe like in the future, and then you'll be like, oh, he he got his yeah. thing, he opened his cart. Yeah, um, yeah. So be. in the Guild Wars Two subreddit, there's PSA hidden Arcana challenge modes. The challenge modes near uh, near each achievement will reset the fight, so you can try again without running the whole instance over. Yeah, that yeah, really awesome. good acknowledgement of the fact that it takes a long time to get there and it's not excuse me it's not challenging to get there necessarily but you know if you're trying to do those achievements that would be miserable without those so i don't know exactly where they are Mm -hmm. but um fantastic um yeah fantastic fantastic they have those that's uh, again i mean They've done so many. They did so many things right in this whole patch. Um, I'm really, I'm really impressed by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean that. Did you did you do what must be done in front of the statue of Avedon? I didn't until later yeah. on. But hilarious. I, I did. Uh, in case anybody isn't aware, in Guild Wars One. Abaddon was the final boss of the Nightfall campaign, and if you did slash dance um, in front of Abaddon, Abaddon would then dance back at you, and would and then he would throw up the horns. And when he throws up the horns, it just kills everybody and wipes the instance, um, which used to be a really funny and awful way to troll people because it only took one person. <laughs> um, in case you didn't know that, uh, <laughs> to to wipe everybody, but uh, you to be fair, I believe you had to do it before the fight actually started, so <laughs> you couldn't just like wipe it at the end and kill everybody. But uh, so this this statue of Avedon, and if you if you dance in front of it, uh, it you die, which is or well you're downed. So which uh, I thought that was great. I love those little, <laughs> I love those little touches. Um, and yeah, it's like so. How many did you read? Uh, were there there were extra lore books, right, that we didn't have to use for the like tons. Oh man, there were like yeah, forty maybe. So many, so many books. Uh, I did read them on my th- first playthrough, but I did go back and just spent time in that library because there's so much stuff to look at. And so many boxes to be jumped on. Um, I was. Did you see the? Uh, I, I um, guess there was a. I think it was in the library uh, that there was a a box that if you jumped on it uh, had there was a small audio sound of one of the super adventure box mo- like mobs inside it. I did not see that one, but I will say that in the warehouse room there is a A plus oh, hit me with it. reference. I don't remember it. Uh in one of the crates, if you look at it from a specific angle, you can see the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, that's just, like that is awesome. 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 That's great. They have yeah, they have several Indiana Jones references actually in the game. It's an entire jumping puzzle. Well that's how I wouldn't do the prior I was like, oh they're so books and i just i'm all about i want to be an assassin or like i want to join the vigil and then someone was like but you get to explore things like yeah. indiana jones yeah. and i was They're, like sign me I up i don't like pretty much any of their npcs during the um 
during the living or the personal story. God, it's so hard to go back to say personal story after you've said living story for two years. Um, yeah. I don't like any of their NPCs in the parts where you're choosing between the packed options because they're always very like wishy-washy and like, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. maybe. And I mean, sort of on a double, like sort of a meta level, it's also one of those things that drives me nuts in video games is like how they they give you a choice, but the but the fact that it's a video game, most of the time you know that both of them are going to succeed, and so it sort of takes out the impact of like choosing what you actually think is smart or good or you know whatever. So like you know in in Mass mm-hmm. Effect, you know it's like the 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 way that it's written, it seems like the renegade is the person that feels like you're presented with hard choices and you have to like make the hard choice that you're that you think is like going to give you the best odds of winning but like in reality you know as a player mm-hmm. that either choice you're going to win so like it makes it sort of pointless so you know if you were just quote unquote a goody two shoes everything would be perfect and you would have made it and if you were the other guy like bad stuff happens because you chose it but since there's no chance of the goody two shoes failing because there's you know like i i wish that more games had things like that where you're like yeah we're the nice positive guys we're not willing to make the hard choice we're gonna always win and then just be like you know you like (laughs) didn't work out for you guys sorry about that um but like so so that type of thing um always made the priory unappealing to me because I could just, like, never justify picking guys that were like, yeah, we've sort of got a thing that's kind of a prototype that we need to kind of maybe go scavenge this thing to add on to it, and then it'll probably maybe work. And I'm like, hmm. Hmm. I mean, I know it's gonna work, because that's how the links, or the personal story works, but, like, it's never it was never a convincing argument for them, and so they always seemed really, like... Right. Just, like, wishy-washy and kind of, like, ridiculous as any kind of force to enact change in the world. So I always sort of thought of them as, like, yeah, we'll leave the research right. up to you, but we won't rely on you to do anything because you just sound so wishy-washy. Um, but, you know, this instant, like you said, I mean, this instance sort of gives you a much better appreciation for what's really going on behind the scenes with the Priory and, like, the type of stuff that they're really up to. But, so, so we go down, we go into the Priory, it is full of lore books, um, and we chill out with Ogden, and then the part where all the, like, especially, I think, all the Guild Wars 1 players probably just squeed with delight was when we got sent into, uh, Glint's, Glint's Lair. It was it was pretty awesome. Like, it looks. I I think it looks phenomenal. <laughs> uh, I was I was so glad to be back in that unique of a vista. You know, um, yeah, it was really mm-hmm. cool. How did you like the the boss mechanics in it? They were great for me. I really enjoyed the complexity and like learning the different mechanics and of course the reference to mm-hmm. like the facets the domains I'm it was facets clear in the exact words from guild wars one yeah um that was excellent i felt like it might be a little bit too difficult for people like i'm not okay i'm not jumping on the like oh guild wars 2 players are dumb bandwagon but I really feel that stories should be accessible to everyone mm-hmm. and then challenge should be optional. Um, and I feel like the... the Especially for the last boss. A little too difficult. Yeah, a little too difficult and a little bit punishing for... Yeah. I th- well, I think either, either that, like... Um, or Or perhaps it's one of those things where, like, I am fine with it being that difficult in the story, but that you should definitely put a disclaimer on it that, like, you know, it's probably best with at least one other person. Um, because that helps a lot. I mean, even just... Mm-hmm. I I did it with a party of three, and it was really easy, but I could definitely see how it would be significantly challenging alone. 
And and then that's frustrating. Like that would be really frustrating mm-hmm. to make it all the way to the end of that fight and then yep. just have to quit or whatever. Yeah, I got um while I was trying to figure out the because I, I understood the mechanics of the last fight when I got there because mm-hmm. I had been taught them by the other fights, which is excellent design. Just like they are great mechanics, and they are taught well, and then they're layered well, which is just perfect, excellent, well done. Um, but while I was trying to understand that I had to get the attunement and the buff at the same time, um. I got killed a lot because the buff drops your health to one. And so anything you step on, anything that sneezes in your direction is going to kill you. And that was really awful for a few tries while I learned how to do this fight. And fortunately, it doesn't reset. So if you get, you know, partway through it and you die, you can just keep going at it. Yeah. But yeah. it was um, still pretty frustrating. Incidentally, bringing back a topic from last week i believe this is this is sort of more what i was talking about on the in the lines of um rating being difficult because of mechanics not because of numbers and it was sort of hard to express exactly mm-hmm. because i know that evie's point was ultimately that your damage output is still going to have a huge impact on the raid difficulty because you'll be able to kill something faster and so you know whatever but this fight it really did not matter that much what like it did well it really didn't matter at all what your stats were right because it was it was pretty much all about using these multiple mechanics together to hurt the boss and you know that yeah. that's a that is a fight where you know where what like what tier of gear you're in is effectively irrelevant and so i think that that's a really good mm-hmm. and and it, that's not to say that all fights in a raid should be something where dps doesn't matter at all but that is that is the type of mechanics that i'm talking about that yeah it's not just about avoiding the boss and then dpsing them like it is about positioning and combining mechanics and things like that where it doesn't matter what you're wearing what matters is that you are as a player capable of doing something of that coordination and challenge level yeah Mm -hmm. i yeah i agree to some extent i like i know we should move on but like quickly before we do that um it's a thin line or yeah it's a fine line because um yeah, having that sort of option is really good, but then there's also the argument that pretty much happened when we took down Zaitan, right? Like, we we built up all these skills or whatever, and then right at the end, they took away all of our tools that we learned through the whole game. Sure, I mean, well, there is a slight difference there, because that took zero skill. (laughs) Whereas, like, this this fight is, you know, all about skillful positioning and moving and awareness. Um, but that's that's what I said. Like, I mean, that's that's what I mean. I don't think I don't think that you should make, you know, make it impossible to damage a boss and only be able to use mechanics. But you can do things like, um, you know, creating say vulnerability windows with mechanics where you then you know have to damage the boss and and like the vulnerability window doesn't even have to be that the boss is stunned, which would remove the point of like mobility based characters or things like that. Um, but it could be something as simple as, you know, this facet has just a shield that, you know, that he, like, but he run runs around and still tries to beat the crap out of you whether or not he has the shield up, you know, and you have to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. Uh, kind of similar mm-hmm. to that, uh, the troll design that we were doing in the bottom of the Amber Fort, where, you know, he has all these AoEs and damage, and he throws right. out honey, and if you can get him stuck in his own honey, then when he sends out the insects, the insects hurt him, right? Yeah, so, like, that's that's another really good example where, yep. you know, your class and your build matter, and your skills still matter, but the mechanics are interesting and very relevant to the fight, and your gear and build don't matter for those mechanical portions. Um, so anyway, I, I just, I think that if nothing else, it shows that 
they're really working on their boss fights. Um, there's their smaller boss fights, as it were. Well, really, even their bigger boss fights with the um, the dry top. I mean, they're not mega boss fights, but they're fairly large scale. Um, yeah, just really good mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I also really appreciated the way that they did the sort of co-storytelling in Glint's Lair, where um, uh, Marjorie and Casimir were separated out from you, and so they were sort of walking along a parallel path, and they were talking to each other about the history of the place while you're sort of doing it. I thought that was a nice way of doing it without just sort of mm-hmm. overloading. Like, you could ignore it if you didn't care, um, but it wasn't intrusive, you know? Um, yeah, right. just really interesting stuff. So, do we have a date for the next patch? Like, do we know if this is back to two weeks for a while, or...? Um, it's not 100% confirmed, but they've already stra- started dropping teasers for the next one, which I just want to talk about a little bit. It's, um... Mm-hmm. An image of Ritlock mm-hmm. with a blindfold. And the mm-hmm. text is, my journey has only Continue. just Continue. I know where you're going with this, but go on. Uh... Why don't you take it away? Because I don't know. I there's a lot of well. Things, I know that the common sure running. I I'm not really gonna call it a theory, but like the, the common thing that I see people say is like, "OMG, Ritlock's turning into a ritualist because, uh, you know, the blindfold was the right. iconic ritualist thing, and he is in the mists, which seems like the perfect place mm-hmm. to learn how to channel spirits or." whatever uh you know uh, um so that th- i know i know that some people are saying that i saw some sort of interesting stuff about the theory that maybe he found the human gods um and something about that mortal eyes could not look upon the human gods and so that it blinded him um Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I think it's a good teaser, um, but I don't, I don't really want. I I I want to be left in the state where I don't know exactly what's coming. Let's put it that way. I don't want to come up with an invested. I don't want to have an investment to a theory at this point with regard to that. So I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Um, well, not, not I don't cor- like the yeah. ritualist or the yeah, karmic okay. theories, or, or the human gods theories. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not really on board with either one. I can't really see adding a new profession at this point, especially ritualist or like that becoming a thing. I can't really see that happening. Um, and I don't think the yeah. gods are as relevant as people want them to be. Uh, actually. Uh, we didn't really talk about the books, but one of my favorite books is just a single, like, a single panel, and it says, A scholarly argument for the symmetry between elder dragons and the human gods. Unfortunately, by the end it is clear that no proof exists to support this theory, which is like the ultimate lore burn for <laughs> people who are theorizing about the six dragons and the human gods. So I, th- I think they really want to downplay the god... Well, that's contradicting because they want to downplay the gods, but then they're bringing they keep yeah. Well, yeah, and and like, like somewhat yeah, the idea involved. possibly of the bloodstones, right? Which were directly from the gods, right? Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. I I think it's fairly um, reasonable to say that we're never actually going to have direct interaction with the gods again, just because it's a multiracial game. In you know. Um, it just really would not fit in very well mm-hmm. with the other races unless they also did like sort of a grand unified eternal alchemy style thing wherein the different gods, you know, were all just like facets of one thing. And so, you know, the raven and the bear and the, you know, all the like Norn totem animals were like sort of conduits to these divine presences and that like each culture assigned their own 
um, uh, what would you call it? Like each culture has their own version of these divine entities, and that they aren't actually even the six gods. They are just these concepts that aren't even necessarily tied together, but that like each race's view of them sort of like made them real for all of them. You know, I mean, like I've seen that type of argument or concept in in fantasy before um where i mean like they could do that i just doubt they will mm-hmm. um so i think at most we would get is like some interaction even if it's but like not direct correlation between the human gods and anything else yeah no it's it's really interesting um yeah i mean i'm gonna be excited to see how it turns out um hopefully we get another patch in two weeks i better start farming my butt off before people leave the zone again i guess unless it expands the zone which it may (laughs) may very well do so um yeah i mean i guess that's there's so much we could talk about with the final instance but at the same time i feel like it's kind of going to be very personalized to every single person and so you know i don't have a ton else mm-hmm. to say uh yeah i yeah i mean i don't have a ton else to say about it for the podcast particularly other than that it's fantastic yeah i have i guess two really quick things one is um the red blue green light kind of thread of things there seem i, I haven't been able to draw any significance from this but i've noticed it it happened with scarlet in the the scarlet fight the watch it was a mechanic in this dungeon. There's different um, light-associated masks, which are now green, blue, and red. Um, the Mordrim in the Waypoint Conundrum instance had a had a, a green, blue, red effect. And I don't think there's anything significant that we can draw from that yet, but it's there, and I've noticed it, and I'm curious to see... If there's yeah, more I'm gonna. I think I'm mostly it. just gonna chalk it up to having a consistent three colors that are distinguishable from one another. <laughs> uh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go in the not a, not a <laughs> lore fair. related reason and purely a aesthetics and or simplicity perspective. Yeah, there was um actually in the instance with. Or in the Hidden Arcana, when you're fighting the Facet of Light, Evie pointed out to me that when you go to do them, they actually have associated shapes with them as well. Um, for colorblind he people. He said it was great that pe- they were Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, uh, for sure. This game can be oh, rough on um, colorblind people. This isn't yeah. directly related to being colorblind or anything, but it reminded me because of the different ground AoE colors with like the orange um, ones for certain boss attacks. Um, I noticed and really liked that they are playing with different, mm-hmm. with more different um, AOEs. So in the in the troll, having you know multiple AOEs where it was like a circle and then a ring, so there was like a dead space in between where it was you know it was hitting the center and then a ring around the center was safe and then a ring around that was not safe. Um, and then other ones that are safe in the center mm-hmm. and not safe are like past a certain point of the center, and it's a ring around that. Um, I think that I think that the more shapes they can incorporate, the more interesting and tactical they can make the fights. Um, which is something that they're probably sort of taking cues from Wildstar on because I never played it, mm-hmm. but I heard that they had a lot of like good ground telegraphing on things like that. Um, so I just I just appreciate that. Uh, I think that's cool. Oh, gosh. Rating CDI, do we want to talk about that? <laughs> uh, nah. We've talked a lot about rating. We're very interested in it, but we don't need to... Yeah, yeah. The CDI is going... It is long. Anymore. It is kind of going in circles. Um, I could not read it. I tried. I Eric put in our show notes that the heat, the discussion got heated for five pages in there, and I tried to read those pages, and my mind literally could not even sink to it. I just was like, what are these words? I don't... It's not, you know, it's not that I can't understand it. 
It's just that I couldn't even follow their train of thought, and they were so long, and there were so many posts. Like, I can read a long post, or a couple long posts, but I can't read, you know, 35 pages of 1,000 to 1,500 word posts. Like, I just, it it just hurt, and I just, I just started tuning it out really fast, so, I mean... Hats off to Crystal Reed and Chris Whiteside and anybody else at ArenaNet that's trying to read these threads, um, because I can't. You are better. You are better people than I, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's intense. So, I mean, if you wanna if you wanna make yourself heard, you can do that in the official forums. But you know, like Kate said, I don't I don't think we really need to talk about it too much more. So. I think that's pretty much a wrap for this week, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. Think this week cast on Cast Cast, there are no cast to cast about. So. Uh, yeah. So I guess with that, uh, we're signing off. Um, oh wait, no, 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 I did think of a thing. Hold on, I need to get the thing. Mmm. I was just bad and didn't put it in the show notes. Uh, one of our own guild members, uh, who's very involved in the community, uh, very involved, uh, loves to send us stuff all the time, uh, Smokey42356, um, he is oh. starting up a community mumble server that's open to all Guild Wars 2 players. Um, I will get you the website for that as soon as it opens. Uh, it's a mumble server. The server is us1.gw2com.net, port 50498, and it's open to all players for organizing spontaneous instances of silver waste, world boss runs, finding people to do stuff, whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, and that is just open to anyone. So go for it. I'll leave links to the all right well that's awesome in the show notes very cool so now are we is that is that everything now yeah well you know yeah uh so thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week that was another episode of relics of war if you'd like to get involved you can find us on any social networking site such as facebook twitter steam and many more just by looking up relics of war that's relics of o-r-r similarly if you'd like to send us mail you can send that to relicsoforr at gmail.com or go to our website, relicsoforr.com, where you can record right there on the front page using our WordPress widget to put on a headset and give us your feedback. Or if you feel more comfortable with it, you can go ahead and just record the audio and send it to us as an OGG or an MP3 file. If you'd like to join us in-game, send a whisper to Cole, C-O-E-H-L, and Nexi, A-N-E-K-S-I, C-Squirrel Run, that's a C, and then Squirrel, and then Run, or Spirit Face to get in contact with us or join the guild. Last, we always love the comments, so if you want to go to our main site and start commenting on some of the posts that we've got or join our forums, you can have fun with that. If you listen to us on iTunes, you can find our page on the market and just leave a comment or a rating that you feel that we deserve. We appreciate that. We'll read them on the show. 